Hey, my name is Brayden, one of the servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope you can lean in and enjoy this message. Well, well, we are in week four of our series called The Gift of Limits. And I want to pick up where we left off just two weeks ago, because last weekend we stayed in line with the series and talked about the limit of a man and the gift of a father and spoke specifically to all of the fathers for Father's Day. But, but two weeks ago, where we left off is where I want to begin this morning, because one of the things we're identifying in this series is that following Jesus isn't just about your spiritual life. It's not just about the things that we often think about, like reading our Bible or praying or attending a, a gathering such as this. It's about the Spirit of God in all of our life. And that includes the areas where we have limits, where there are restrictions on what we can and we, we can't do. Mark Sayers in his book, Disappearing Church, says it best. That's Sabbath Sunday next weekend, by the way. So again, take note of that. Just want to make sure you're paying attention. Moving on. Mark Sayers says, Our culture is depleted and burned out because it rebels against the God-giving limitations that's been placed on it. Individuals are depleted because we refuse to live within the fields that God has that God has given us. And so as we, as we kind of journey into week four this morning, and there's just two passages of scripture, three verses total I want to read for kind of our context today. And so would you stand with me one more time this morning in honor of reading God's word together? If you are newer to ethos, we stand for the reading of God's word because we believe that the scriptures really are the authoritative guiding truth and governing truth of our, of our lives. And this is just a way in which we posture our bodies outwardly in a position where we say, God, we, we do honor your word today. Above everything else and anything else that we've heard this past week, we, we want to lean into and recognize that your word really is truth. And in fact, that's what Jesus is saying here in John chapter 8, and this has been our main text for the entirety of this series. He says to the people who believed in him, you're really my people, you're truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Two weeks ago, we identified that that phrase, remain faithful, comes from one Greek word that simply means to stay put or to hold on to. He's saying, you're, you're really my people if you hold on to my teachings, then you'll know the truth. And my truth will set you free. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Everybody say holy. I want to share today from a working title of the limit of time in the gift of no. That word no, I, I don't know if you've recognized this in your own life, but it is one of the harder words to say sometimes. Anybody else with me in here? Can, can I have any friends? Three of you can relate this morning. It's good. I'm going to preach to the three of you then. No is really hard to say, unless, of course, you're mad, right? Then you're like, no, no way, <laughs> right? Or if you want to try to control something and you're trying to manage the situation, then it's easy to say no because you're upset or frustrated with the person and the situation is going on, and you're like, no, I will not do that. But most of the time, no is kind of difficult to, to say. And so I want to just unpack the gift of no in our life and what that unlocks for each and every one of us as it relates to, as it relates to growing in our, in our faith and relationship with Christ. Let's pray one more time this morning. God, we thank you for these moments that we have and we recognize that this is unique, that we get to be a part of, of just growing in a relationship with you. And Father, I pray that that would just become more of a reality in all of our lives. Ask too that you would make up the distance between what I prepared to say and what you want to speak into the hearts and the lives the minds, the families, the schools, the workplaces of everybody who's in here this morning and who will listen at a later date. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 
Uh, with a little participation in here today, can I, can I see your hands if you've ever been to a wedding before? Can I see your hands? You've been to a wedding? That's the vast majority of you. Some of you are married and you didn't raise your hands. That's interesting. Um, so you're a liar. Okay, good. You came to the right place. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, most of us have been to a wedding before. Certainly all of us uh, have seen a wedding on a movie or a television show at one point or another. And, and there's this one moment in every wedding that, we, that we're all familiar with. It's, it's, that kind of, it's kind of a bit of a climactic moment where the bride and the groom come together and the officiant is, is, is reciting some vows. And, and the bride has this opportunity to say to the groom and the groom has the same opportunity to say, I do. I, I do. And what's interesting is that when they say I do, you ever thought about what they're saying I do too? Hey, for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, I take you to be my wife. I take you to be my, my husband. I, I do. And what's so interesting about that moment, right, is that you're not really saying I do to the entire journey because you don't know what the journey is going to look like. You're saying I do to the individual. You're saying I do to that person, but you don't really know exactly what twists or turns may come. You don't, you don't know what this is really going to look like. When we think about the reality that at some point, we're going to probably experience health and sickness. We're going to experience better and worse. We're going to experience richer and poorer. But you're saying I do to that moment, but it would be interesting, right, if the officiant in that moment had like a book of your life. And he could say to you, okay, before you say I do, I just want you to know that four years from now, um, it's going to get kind of ugly. Um, your wife is going to um, leave trash everywhere. And um, not that my wife does that. I'm not using her as an illustration this morning. She doesn't, by the way. That sounded like I was making a joke there, but it actually wasn't. It's a true story. She's very clean. Thank you, baby. And, and right, like, like hey, in, in, in 10 years from now, things are going to get a little bit rocky and you may even lose your job and you might have to move to a city that you really don't want to move to. And, 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 but no, none of those details are revealed in that, in that moment. You, you don't know if it's going to actually be for richer or for poorer. Like in that moment, we're all thinking, yes, I, I hope it's for richer. My, my wife and I, we know what it's like to commit to one another and say, for poor, I still do. Like early in our relationship, a date night for us literally consisted around moments when we would get the mail and Dairy Queen would send us buy one, get one free coupons. I was like, babe, it came Friday night. We're going to party like it's 1999, babe. Let's go. Dairy Queen, here we come. And it's a true story. We would, we would make date nights around receiving West Wing DVDs in the mail from Netflix and we'd be left with a cliffhanger at the end of the episode but then we had to mail the DVD back in and wait like a week and a half to get the next one. I mean we were suffering early on. We didn't know we were saying I do to that. Some of y'all have no idea what it's like to wait for a DVD in the mail from Netflix. You're like man that must have been rough. It was rough. <laughs> rough with a capital R. But we don't know what we're saying. We don't always know what we're saying I do to but Maybe even more importantly, though, is we do, if we think about it, we, we know what we're saying, I don't to. It's interesting to me that at, at a wedding, we, we ought to take a moment and consider that when I'm saying I do to, when I'm saying I do, in this case, to, to my wife, that I'm also subsequently saying I don't to every other woman in the world. 
And when my wife says I do to me, she's also saying to all you other jokers out there, I don't. This is my guy right here. And so we're, we're saying yes, but just as a, a reminder, we know this, but I'm not sure that we're always cognizant of it. We're, we're also saying no. And that no is equally, if not even at times, more important even than the, than the yes. And all of us would agree that the limits in this case on our relationship, it helps us get to where we're going in life. Now listen, not, not all limits are good, and we highlighted that in week one of this series, but all of God's limits are very good. In fact, just a quick recap, in Genesis 1, as we mentioned in week one, that from the very beginning, it says that God creates the heavens and the earth. And it's here in the very first chapter, the very first verse of the scriptures, that we see the makeup of what God was doing here, the ingredients of our universe. We see time in the beginning. God created space, represents, or God created the heavens, rather, represents space. And then earth represents matter. In fact, from the very beginning, we see an eternal God made a world limited by time, an immeasurable God made a world limited with boundaries of space, and an immaterial God made a world restricted by matter. In other words, limitations were part of the design that God created the the world with. And as the story goes on in verse 10 of Genesis 1, God looks at what he's making and he says it's good. And we identified in week one that seven times throughout the creation story, God calls what he created good. Like God's bragging on himself in one sense. The Father, Son, and Spirit are patting each other on the back. Like, man, what we did here was, it was really good. And that word good actually comes from this Hebrew word tav, which means creation, the way that it was meant to be. And the reason why that's important to understand is because God created creation with limitations, and yet God called it good. That the limits are actually a good thing. In fact, as the story goes on, and we mentioned this in previous weeks, that God gave Adam and Eve a world full of yeses with one singular no. He said, you can do anything you want. You can eat from anything you want, except for this one singular tree over here. I just don't want you guys to touch that. In fact, we understand that the reason for this was because if God is loved, he must be loved willingly. It has to involve a choice. And so had God not given us the choice, a world full of yeses but one singular no, then we'd say, well, God was not extending grace to us then because his grace represented a relationship that he desired with us. And you can't have a relationship if it's forced, not a loving one anyway. You can't have a relationship that's coerced, at least not a willing one anyway. And so God's restrictions and limitations are not indicative of God being restrictive upon us. It's actually quite the opposite. It's indicative of the fact that God was extending grace to us, inviting us into a relationship because we all understand that every relationship involves a foundation of trust. If there's no trust, there's no opportunity for a relationship. And that's exactly what God was offering to us in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. In fact, the command to not eat from that tree is not merely about food choice. The command is an invitation to trust God at his word. And that invitation still remains true today. And here is where we pick up from week two. All of that was just recap. And if it didn't make sense, I'm sorry. I should have done a better job. But you can go back and listen to the podcast in weeks one and two. But here's where we pick up. One of the most distinguished, if not potentially the most distinguished words in the Bible is this Hebrew word, kadash. And it's simply translated in English as holy. 
Now, we can further define this, this word holy as commanding respect or something that's awesome, something that's singled out. In fact, we would say that holy is something that's been set apart. It's the reason why, if you have your Bible with you this morning, all of our Bibles say Holy Bible on it. It's indicative of the fact that the scriptures are not just like every other book. It's not like Harry Potter or some C.S. Lewis novel. As good as those may be, the scriptures are set apart. They're awesome. They're singled out, and they command our respect. Now, here's what's interesting, though, is that in biblical hermeneutics, which is just a fancy word that you don't really need to understand, but it's just a way in which we interpret the scriptures. There's something referred to as the law of first mention. Anytime you're trying to identify what does something mean here that the scriptures are teaching us, biblical hermeneutics tells us that we should go back to the first time that was mentioned in the scriptures and see what it was in reference to to get a better, more holistic idea of what's really going on with this word. And so the question I want us to wrestle with for just a moment is what was the first holy object in the history of the world? Keeping in mind that holy, kadash, it's really important. One of the most distinguished words in the scripture. So what was the first holy thing? Was it a mountain, an altar? Was it even a person, which would probably be the answer that I would have given had this question been posed to me? It was actually none of those things. It was in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3 that we read a moment ago that God blessed the seventh day and he made the seventh day holy. Now, Abraham Heschel, in his book, The Sabbath, he wrote that when history began, there was only one holiness in the world. There was holiness in time. A special significance is required to recognize the ultimate significance of time. The limit of time. The gift of no. No is your time's best friend. And yes, without a corresponding no, is your calling's worst enemy. We need to recognize the gift that God has given us within the limitations of our lives to say no to some things that God never called us to. I'm not even talking about the things that God's like, nah, don't eat from that tree. That's not even what I'm talking about. I'm talking about some of the good things in our life that we, that we allow to crowd out some of the really beautiful God things in our lives. All of us, if we take a moment to consider this, all of our lives are kind of lived within the balance of yes and no. What we say yes to is subsequently also saying no to some other things in our lives. And what we say no to is subsequently saying yes to some other things in our lives. Sort of like the illustration we gave a moment ago as it relates to the day in which we said I do to your, your spouse. Your yes and your no are what keep your life in one sense healthily balanced. In fact, I would maybe even offer to us that the, the act of bringing the world into existence is a continuous process. That creation never stopped. That the moment that God called the world into, begin, into, into beginning and into being, he never stopped creating. Can we think about this for just a moment? Because this blows my mind when I consider the reality of of how creation didn't cease to exist or didn't cease to continue in Genesis chapter three. That every instant, every new second, every new minute, every new decade, every new century is a instant act of creation. 
And time, in one sense, is God's continual gift of new creation that he offers to us to participate in. That creation just continues. And what we do with time, though, is our gift back to, back to God. A friend of mine, last year for my birthday, he sent me this poster. It's kind of difficult for you to see from a distance, but there's a bunch of little squares on this poster, some of which are already colored in, some of which aren't. And every square represents a week in my life, or a week, in this case, make it applicable to you in, in your life. And every line on the poster represents a year. Now, the poster ends at, at 88 years. I don't know if my friend is prophetic, and he's like, Jordan, just heads up, you're going to die at 88. I don't know. I kind of doubt that was the case, but, but it ends at 88 years, and and every week then, I, I fill in a new, a new box. Every Monday, I, I take a moment, I just kind of check off that box. And what this poster does for me is it, it's kind of a sobering reminder that time just keeps on going. And you know this, this isn't anything new. But it is sobering to, to consider. Just quick side note, two of the boxes are already filled in. This is the moment where my daughter will graduate. That's the moment where my son will graduate. And I see him like, I don't have a whole lot of weeks left with either one of them. And it, it just kind of creates this posture of humility. Like, God, I want to use the opportunities that you've given me to create, to create things that are, that are of you to use my time to the best of my ability. Now, here's what's interesting, though, is that sometimes I look at this poster, and the temptation, I believe the temptation is from the enemy. I believe the temptation sometimes when I look at this poster is to see time passing and then to feel pressure to do more stuff. And come on, somebody. Anybody, anybody is good at just getting stuff done? Anybody in here? Like, like quite a few of you. My, my wife could attest. Like, I, I'm good at just coming up with stuff to do. Like, I'm not very good at just sitting still. And so there's always more stuff to do, more places to go, more people to see, more people to meet. Let's go, baby, let's go. And she's like, babe, slow down. Like, like and so that's the temptation. Well, babe, we, we don't have all that time. It looks like a lot, but it's not a lot. We gotta keep on moving. We gotta keep on trucking. We gotta keep on pushing forward. And, and I'm good at getting stuff done, and you're good at getting stuff done. And so the temptation sometimes is just to fill in those blocks with just getting more stuff done, but the calling isn't to do more stuff, what God is calling us to. And that's all that word means, that he's literally just calling us. Like you were with a child, hey, come. Come, son, come, daughter. That's what God does for us. And he's, he's calling us not to do more stuff, but to do more of the right stuff. And so how do we do more of the right stuff with this, with this time that we have? Because all of our decisions are the foundation of our life. Our decisions determine our schedules. And our schedules determine our lives. And our lives determine the health of our souls. Now, this is fairly elementary, but if you're anything like me, I forget this stuff all of the time. I actually have a friend here who taught me this. He shared this quote with me years ago, and I steal it all the time, that Plato once said that the greater part of instruction is, is remembering what you've already been told. And so maybe you're like me, you just, you just need a reminder this morning that our decisions are the foundation for whether or not we're have, that we're pursuing health in our life and health being that which God calls us to do or whether we're kind of getting off track. Or, and, and the reality is that for most of us, we live with overwhelmed schedules and just underwhelmed souls. We're burnt out on the outside, but just not fulfilled at all on the inside. And we're wondering what's, what's missing. 
Now hear me, listen, this isn't about finding more time. There is no way to find more time. And I've read all of those books. And maybe you have too. All like the time efficiency books. In fact, I like them. Like they help me get more crap done. You know? But, and you can't say crap? Is that a bad word? Okay. Some of you look at me like, like, come on, pastor, do better. I'm like, I'm trying, but. And, and so the temptation though is just to, just to kind of figure out a way, how do we just get more done? But again, this, this is about honoring God with the time that we have. And if we want to build margin in our life, we got to do the work that God meant for us to do and set aside the work that we are just pursuing on our own. You got to remember that you're not God. You're, you're only human. You, you and I have limitations. Like the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, I've learned that everything has limits. And I pray that we would learn that everything has limits. I was just praying this over us this week as a church. As a church, we'd recognize even our limits as a church, that we are not called here at Ethos to do everything. We are just one small part of the larger body that's at work here in our city, all across central Ohio, that, that we intentionally meet with other pastors and churches to identify what are you doing and what are you doing well? What needs do we see together that you can meet that we aren't called to meet? What needs do we see that we are called to meet that you aren't called to meet? The temptation oftentimes of churches is to see what one other church is doing and how they're growing and what strategy they have in order to sustain that growth and then just do what every other church is doing. But that's not what we're called to do. We're called to do what God calls us to do. Now what another church is called to called to do. And so we got to recognize both in our lives individually and collectively as a community here at Ethos that we have limits. And of course, part of those limits are our time limits. And there's a million opportunities to say yes to things. As we've introduced in previous series, and again, we highlighted just briefly last week, all of what we find on our calendars can be summed up into three different buckets. If you look at your calendar even this week, you can probably see some things on your calendar, on your phone, or on your daily planner, however you kind of schedule your weeks out. And you can probably say, hey, what I got going on here at Monday at 8 a.m., that's a really good thing. But what I got going on Monday at 6 p.m., that, that's a great thing. And then unfortunately, what a lot of us do is we say, well, what we got going on Sunday, and maybe at 6 a.m. on Monday morning when I'm spending some alone time with, with God, that's a God thing, and that's separate. But what I want to just highlight for just a moment without unpacking this entirely today is that we're really good. We are really, really good at convincing ourselves that everything we do is at the very least good, which is why when you have a friend and they tell you, you're just too busy, you got too much stuff going on. I just had this conversation with a friend recently. And they were trying to convince me how they can't take anything off of their schedule because, well, this is really good. And if I don't do this over here, then I won't be able to achieve this over here. And if I don't have this here, then my family can't do this over there. And they're just so convinced everything on their schedule is good. And we're good at convincing ourselves of those things. But I want to recognize for just a few moments this morning why we say yes to so many good things and how we can say yes to more God things. And by God things, I'm not implying moments just like this because the God things in your life are so much more practical and natural than what you often think that they are. And by God things, I simply mean that, that your job is potentially a God thing. That spending time with your kids or your friends is a... God thing. And so why do we then say yes? Why is the temptation so strong to say yes to so many good things? And 
This is just, I'm gonna pull back the curtain of my own life because these four things just come from looking internally and I think they'll resonate at least one or two of them with your life as well. I think the first reason is because we just like to please people. Let's just call it what it is. We don't like to let people down. And so I wanna offer this question as a sort of litmus test for you as it relates to when you are saying yes or feeling tempted to say yes to something. Is it a God thing or is it a good thing? Ask yourself this question. Could any part of this yes be tied to people pleasing and allowing that desire to skew my judgment of what's best? Is what I'm saying yes to right now simply because I just don't like that feeling that's projected or transferred onto me when I let somebody else down? And you know this, you already know this. I know this sounds a little elementary, but again, I think it's just a simple reminder. It is impossible to please everyone. I've tried. It's impossible. And you will exhaust yourself trying. And in in the process, you'll become the most unhappy person in the room. You can't please everybody. And so the goal as followers of Jesus is to lean so far into the love of Christ that we can't help but respond to following Jesus by saying, I really just want to please you more than I want to please anybody else. I really just want to follow you more than I want to follow anybody, anybody else. Lisa Turkhurst in her, her book, The Best Yes, she, she wrote, we must not confuse the command to love with the disease to please. Come on, how good is that? That's good not just for what we're talking about today. That's just good in life in general. Like sometimes we think, well, I don't want to let that person down. I don't want to say that because that's going to upset that person over there. And we confuse Jesus' commandment in John chapter 13 with trying to please everybody. And that is not what Jesus said because we don't have to look any further than the life of Jesus to recognize that he let some people down. But his ultimate goal was to please his heavenly father, which is why it's important to recognize that when we say we want to love all people in Jesus' name, which is our mission statement here at Ethos, we're saying we want to love people like Jesus loved people, which means at times we'll let people down, but the ultimate goal is to show them how when we lean into the limits that God has given us, it's actually an invitation to trust him at his word, which is an invitation to lean into a relationship with him, which is the ultimate, most fulfilling experience of all of our lives. But so often what we do, as we mentioned in week one, is we stumble upon autonomy, meaning we try to do life on our own and we never make it into true freedom, the freedom that can only be found in Christ. And we're left unfulfilled, we're left wanting more because we're trying to do it on our own because we don't recognize the limitations that are on our life that God has created for us. Hey, a world full of yeses, one singular no over here and it's right there where we accept the limitations on our life that we experience a relationship with Jesus, true freedom in Christ that is no doubt what all of our lives are most deeply craving. I think the second reason why we say yes to so many things is because we just feel pressure from people. It's not even that we are trying to please people. It's just, we just feel so much pressure and weight from people. And so here's another question as a sort of a litmus test to identify in your life, whether or not you fall prey to this. Do, do any of the expectations that come from this yes, do they feel forced Or am I frantic to make it? Do I feel like I'm on a time crunch and so I don't have time to really even identify if this is of God? Am I doing this because I feel a conviction to do this? Or am I doing this because I feel forced to do it? 
Can you discern the difference between pressure from the outside and the impressions of the Spirit of God on the inside? One of the reasons why we began to create some space at the end of every service just to respond to the Spirit of God is because I believe that today, in the culture in which we live, which I don't think was entirely true several decades ago, that one of the ways that we grow to become more and more formed in the image of Christ is by learning to slow down. And so we want to create some space at the end of every service to slow down. Slowing down can be really uncomfortable. Silence is not something that we enjoy. And yet it's in the silence, and it's in the unhurriedness of life, where we are most likely and most easily able to hear from and to experience those gentle impressions, that gentle, still small voice of the Spirit of God in our lives. Can we discern that? And if we can't, you need to slow down. The only way that you can discern it is by slowing down. So I think pressure from the outside causes us to make decisions, to say yes to things that God is never asking us to say yes to. Paul writes this in Philippians 1. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to, and here it is, discern what is best for your life. And then you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ or the day that Jesus returns. The third, third thing that I have found why we say yes to so many things, because we just, we lack clear vision for our life. And without a clear vision, you often feel afraid of just missing out. Without a clear vision of where you're going, it's so easy to be tempted to say yes to everything. Years ago, I was 19 years old, and a friend of mine and I decided we're just going to go on a random road trip. We didn't know where we were going. It was a Friday night. We had nothing going on on Saturday. And we said, let's just leave. Let's just like, let's just go on a trip. Where are you going to go? I don't know. I remember telling my dad, dad, we're going to go, we're going to go driving. Where are you going, son? I don't know. It's just going to be spontaneous, fun. It's going to be awesome. It's before the days of maps on your phone. So we had like this big old atlas that my friend pulled out from the bottom of the passenger seat. And we're like, let's just go. And at one point, I remember my friend telling me, he's like, don't even use the atlas. Let's just drive. Sounds awesome. We start driving, true story, about three hours in. This is the most lame road trip ever. <laughs> like, where are we going? We're like, I don't know, man. You want to go home? Yes. Home sounds way better than here. A year later, that same friend of mine and I, we, we went on a road trip to Florida. This time, we used the Atlas. And as a result, we said yes to the roads we knew we needed to go on. And we said no to the roads we knew we shouldn't go on because we had a clear vision of where we were going. At the end of that road trip, we said to each other, bro, that was the best road trip of my life. See, a clear vision for your life reveals what you say yes to and it reveals what you say no to. A clear vision creates clarity around the answers to questions that we're so easily tempted to just always say yes to. I'll jump back into that one here in just a moment and how we can identify and create some more clarity around the vision for our lives. But the fourth thing and fourth temptation that we all have as to why we say yes to so many good things is just comparison. We just compare our life to someone else's life and we think, well, man, they're experiencing that. I want to experience that too. And sometimes we just even try to keep up with the Joneses. And yet the Joneses are super unhappy with their life. And as a result, we then become even more unhappy with our lives because we're, 
We're just saying yes to things, not because God's called us to those things. We're just saying yes to things because I just don't really want to miss out. You know, there's this idea that all people are created equal, which is true. We, we are all created equal in terms of our value and dignity and the worth on our lives, but we're not all equal when it comes to talent and capacity. And you need to understand this. There are unique limits on your life that are unique to you in comparison to somebody else. And that's what Paul was talking about in Romans 12 when he said, don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us in his grace, meaning in God's love for you, meaning God did this because he cares about you and he wants you to understand this. God has given us different gifts for doing some things well and for not doing other things well. Not all of us could come up here on the platform and sing as well as I can sing. That was a joke, by the way. Because all of you could sing as well as I could sing. And many of you, a lot, a lot better. But it, but it is kind of a unique and not unique. It's kind of a, a comical and definitely relevant illustration to identify that like we have different giftings and we know that, but there are also different giftings in the sense of what we're called to do and the limits in our life. Some of us can do more than others. Some of you are super high capacity leaders and some others of you aren't and that's okay. You're all, a t everyone is a 10 at something and God is calling you to lean into him to identify what that something is. And now here's where I want to transition and I want to close with this. We've talked about why, why are we so and what is it that so easily tempts us to say yes to so many good things. But now how can we lean into and understand and see the value in the gift of no? And so as we begin to kind of close this out, this last part's going to go a whole lot faster than the first part. I felt like I needed to set this up and build a foundation. So all of that was really a foundation for this right here. So if you fell asleep, wake up right now, okay? Waking up, good. You're like, if you're asleep, you're probably not waking up because I just lowered the volume of my voice. Anyway, Luke chapter four, verse one. The temptation of Jesus where he said no on three different occasions. Luke chapter four, verse one. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during these days. And this is one of the best verses in all the Bible. And at the end of them, he was really hungry. You're like, Hey, Luke, thank you so much for clarifying that at the end of 40 days, I'm going to be really hungry. I needed that truth in my life right now. Anyway, moving on. There's a reason why Luke said it. Here it is. The devil then said to Jesus, if you really are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And then Jesus answered. He said, it is written. And he's using God's word. He's using the authority and the power of God's truth as a way in which to combat the lies of the enemy because this is where our authority comes from because this is where our power comes from. The truth is not something we use as a weapon to beat over other people's heads. The truth is something we use in our own lives in order to see the power of God come to fruition in each and every one of our lives, our families, our homes, our jobs, our education. That's what the truth is used for. And that's what God, Jesus teaches us here. And Jesus answered, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. Then the devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the enemy said to him, I'm gonna give you all of the authority and splendor of these kingdoms. It's been given to me and I can give it to anybody that I want to. If you just worship me, it'll be yours. Then Jesus once again says, it's written. He says, it's written that, that you should worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. In other words, Jesus here now tells the enemy two different no's. He's like, no, I'm not doing that, no. I'm not 
I'm not going to do that either. And then the last temptation, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. And if you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. And now the enemy uses God's word and tries to manipulate it against Jesus, which is a temptation that we all often have in our lives as well. We take one verse and use it to manipulate the rest of what God's saying, but we got to keep it in context of the entirety of God's word and not fall prey to what the enemy does here with Jesus. He says, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They'll lift you up in your hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus said, no, 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 enemy. It's also said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished then, he left him until another opportune time in the future. Here's what I'm getting at. Jesus tells the enemy three different times, no, no, no. In that gift of saying no, gave the opportunity for Jesus to lean into margin for a much greater yes. And and, and this is really practical to all of our lives. Because your gift of no gives you a whole lot more margin to say yes to the things that only you can say yes to, to the God buckets in your life. Just about a month and a half ago, my wife and I had a conversation, one that we have more frequently than we would probably like to have. And it's a conversation we've had dozens of times throughout throughout our years of marriage. Basically, she came to me and she's like, babe, your schedule's just too full. And as a result, you're giving me your leftovers. Your kids are still getting the best of you, but you're giving me your leftovers. In fact, both of our schedules are just too full. And in that conversation, we realized, like, there's just too many things going on. We, we said yes to too many things. And in the end, our yes over here was a subsequent no to each other. And we realize in that conversation, we need to make some adjustments. Now listen, if you're young and married, you got young kids, that season of life can be an overwhelming season. Unbelievably tiring season. Come on, parents. Anybody with me in here? And thank you for being honest with me, Astro Ramirez. Appreciate that. And, and, and the good news is that season is just a season. The bad news is that you still need to reevaluate every new season in the future because the temptation then is just to fill the margin that you do have later on in life with other yes things that are just good things, but not necessarily great and even more so dangerous, not God things. And so you need to recognize that your yes to some things over here may be a no to something over here. Louis Giglio says it best when he said that whenever you say yes to something, there is less of you for something else. So make sure that your yes is worth the less. (laughs) How good is that? He's a poet and you don't even know it. It's good. And so we got to recognize that my yes and my no's, they need to stay balanced with one another. I I had this book. I I love the title of this book. It's an old book. The author has passed away about 50 years ago now. It's called Three Mile Per Hour God. It's a small little book. It's not even in print anymore, but the book is just worth the title alone. Because the whole premise of the book is that Jesus walked everywhere that he went. And the average speed of an adult walking is three miles per hour. And so the idea is that Jesus, who is love, he's the embodiment and the fulfillment of all things love. The idea is that love always walks. And sometimes we can get so busy that we're jogging, maybe even more so we're sprinting from one thing to the next and we're not able to observe and feel the things that are going on 
around us because we're walking so much faster than three miles per hour. And my encouragement to us as a church is to recognize that three miles per hour is the speed at which Jesus called us to follow him. And when we're walking faster, running faster, jogging faster than Jesus, we're no longer following him. We're now asking him to follow us. And we've extended past the limitations that are on our lives. And most likely, it's a warning sign that something dangerous is coming up in our, in our life. In fact, I'll say it like this, that the gift of no also leads to greater peace. It's why Jesus said, or rather the psalmist wrote in Psalm 46, to be still and know that God is, is God. Just like we have in our vehicles, a check engine light. When that light comes on, if you ignore it for too long, bad things are down the road. There's a check engine life, light on your life too. It's called pain, fatigue, irritability, loss of joy, easily frustrated, lashing out quickly at those that you love the most. And so we got to recognize when that check engine light comes on, and this is where we need great relationships in our life to help us with this as well. Because also, lastly, the gift of no, I'm closing here, provides and leads to a deeper impact with your life. Now listen, we know this stuff. Intuitively, I'm not sharing anything new that you don't already know. My prayer is that this morning, the Spirit of God teaches us something that I can't. St. Augustine once said that the preacher preaches, but it's the Spirit who teaches. And that's my prayer for us this morning, that as I'm speaking, that there are some things that we'd say, man, I've said yes to some things that I need to start saying no to so that I can have a deeper impact with my life. Because when Jesus said no in Luke chapter four, his no, if you look closely at what was happening there, the enemy was actually tempting Jesus all with things that Jesus would later have. And so the temptation that the enemy presented to Jesus there in Luke four wasn't necessarily bad things. It was good things in the wrong time. And so Jesus was tempted to shortcut his calling. And yet he later on in life had a much more significant and deeper impact because he said no to some things that would have been easy to say, well, maybe I can shortcut what God has called me to do. Maybe I don't really need to go to the cross. Maybe I don't really need to walk through this thing. Maybe I can say yes to this so that I can have an easier life in the end. But God is saying, no, no, no. My life in the end is actually better for you if you just believe me and trust me through the season that I've called you to walk through. Say no to those things so that you can have a deeper impact later on. And I promise you, this is where I'm closing right here. I'm going to go through these questions really fast. How then, since we know, actually, I'm sorry, can we throw up, I forgot to put this in there, Daniel, but it's important just to illustrate the buckets one more time. We've talked about then why it's so easy for us to be tempted to say yes to so many good things, but, but I I don't want you to leave this morning and if we were going to be in person next week, this is what I was planning on teaching next week until I remembered we're not going to be here next week. And so, remember, you're not going to be here next week. Okay. So then, how do we identify the God things in our life? What do we do? Just three simple things. Three simple things. It's three simple things. First one is, oh, nope. Now we need to go back to the very last slide. Thank you. Have you been reading and praying through God's word lately? It's really hard to discern what God has called you to do if you're not familiar with the voice of God. 
And you become familiar with the voice of God when you read the word of God. These are his words. Specifically, if you don't know where to start, we have a Bible reading plan on our website. We still have physical copies at the In This Together table if you'd like one. And we just encourage you to begin in the New Testament. We have you start in the book of Luke. And it's the third book in the New Testament, the newer portion of our Bible. And you just become familiar with the life, the ministry, the words, the teachings of Jesus. And so if you're not familiar with the words of Jesus, it's hard to discern the will of God for our lives. And I offer that with humility, but if we haven't been doing that, and yet we find ourselves trying to discern or wrestle through some really important decisions in life, you're going to have a hard time. You're going to have a hard time discerning God's best from your good, from God's will and just your preferences. The second thing we need to pay attention to is have you been applying God's word to your life lately? I think the difference between knowledge and wisdom, knowledge knows, but wisdom does. And so when we read God's word, we don't just want to be hearers of it. Man, one of the prayers that I pray regularly for us as a church is that we would be doers of God's word, that we would lean into and to the best of our ability over the next several decades together, we'd say yes to anything that God asks of us and say no to the things that we just think, that could be cool. That's working for another church. Let's just try that too. And so we want to apply God's word. If we don't apply it, it's also then hard for us to recognize what's the next step because we've missed out on the last step. But when we say yes to the next step and we step out in obedience and do it, then God's able to reveal the following step to us. Then lastly, have you sought godly counsel and insights from wise people who know the specifics of your situation? Again, you know this. If you've been coming here for any length of time, this may be the DNA of our church. Is that we just weren't meant to live life alone. This really is meant to be a communal thing. For those of you who like to read, I'm going to give you a little good reading suggestion here. Read, uh, reading God's word through individualistic eyes. Reading God's word. Ooh, I'll tell you what, most of us read the Bible and we think, this is all just for me, for me, for me, for me. And we become kind of puffed up Christians, but God's word was actually for us to practice together in community with one another. And so have you sought, have you sought insight and counsel from other people, whether peers, older, possibly even younger, but have you invited somebody else with humility, not so that you can hope that they tell you what you want to hear, because how many of y'all know that's usually what we do? We even try to ask the question in such a way that they're like, they're like, wait, I'm confused. That sounds like an obvious answer because we haven't given them the full details of what's going on. I know I do this. I'm guilty of this. You probably are too. But no, how we said with humility, like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm willing for you to say no. I'm willing for you to push back. I, I want to come with humility and offer to you the opportunity to say, I don't think that's God's best for your life. So have we done that? If we haven't, then it's going to be really hard for us to discern what is God's best in our life. But I believe that we can start today because wisdom makes decisions today that are still good tomorrow. And so rather than just pursuing our preferences now, we say, God, what are you calling me to throughout the duration of my life? Because I want to be a part of the new creation, this thing that you've gifted to me, which is time. And I want to use it to create what you're calling me to create, to be a part of what you're calling me to be a part of.